Al Jazeera podcast. The ceasefire in Gaza has come into effect and an airy calm not seen in seven weeks hangs over the Strip. The north is in ruins. Water and food are in short supply. So realistically, how much humanitarian aid can be distributed in just four days? I'm Tom McRae and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests now. In Ramallah is Nabal Farsak, the spokesperson for the Palestine Red Crescent Society, one of the aid organisations coordinating relief efforts in Gaza. In Tel Aviv is Akiva Elder, a political analyst and columnist for the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. And also in Ramallah is Noor O'Day, a writer and political analyst. A warm welcome to you all. Thank you very much for joining us here on Inside Story. Nabal, if I can begin with you, please. As I mentioned, the Red Crescent and helps distribute aid uh, into Gaza. Can you just give us an update on how that has gone since the ceasefire began, what you are hearing from your teams on the ground? Have there been any issues at all at this stage in, in getting aid in? Good evening. Thanks for having me. So these four days uh, pause will allow the Palestine Red Crescent teams, along with UNRWA, to receive more humanitarian aid through Rafah Crossing border. That include fuel, food, water, medical supplies, as well as medicine. The expectation is to receive around 200 trucks, although since the beginning of the entry of a humanitarian aid, the daily average is only 45 uh, trucks. Mm. And let's remember that before the escalation, the number of aid trucks that were getting into Gaza Strip is around 500 trucks. Although there, there will be an increase uh, of receiving aid, it's still a drop in the ocean compared to the humanitarian catastrophe that is uh, in Gaza, taking into consideration that over 2 million civilians now are lacking food, water, medicine, and fuel as well. Our teams will do their best to distribute the aid and deliver the aid to the most uh, areas and vulnerable areas to support the Palestinians who are now uh, internally displaced in south of Gaza Strip. The situation in south of Gaza Strip is disastrous. Many Palestinian hundreds or thousands are in the streets with no place to go to. Others are backing in schools or even at hospitals. So this aid will support those Palestinians to try to alleviate their suffering a little bit by supporting them and providing them with food, water, relief items as well. Basically, that now it's a huge struggle for every Palestinian in the south to find food or water to their family because the, the market after seven weeks of continuous escalation and after over a million and a half Palestinians fled to the south of Gaza Strip is now almost completely empty. Mm, mm. As we've heard time and again, this is nowhere near enough, even with the increase in aid during this ceasefire. Nor there are so many moving parts to all of this, to the ceasefire. It's obviously extremely complicated and, and very, very delicate. How difficult do you think it's going to be to enforce all of the different aspects of it, especially uh, getting aid to those most in need? 
getting aid, I think, will be the most uh, sensitive and the most complicated. Um, uh, this uh, all depends uh, basically on what Israel allows in. Um, and once the aid goes in, and as we heard from Nibal, it will not be nearly enough, but it will be an increase from uh, uh, the trickle that was coming in over the past six weeks, um, the question will remain on whether enough aid will be able to reach people in the north, where the situation is quite dire and where they haven't uh, they've been cut off from the world, basically, for all those weeks. Um, that, I think, will be one of the more important tests of this tenuous ceasefire. Yeah. Akiva, you're in Tel Aviv, and, and we know that the, the captives has been the biggest issue for Israel. Now that the ceasefire is underway, has, how is all of this being viewed there? Does the humanitarian situation in Gaza and what is happening to the Palestinians inside the Strip, does that even get a mention at this point in time? Um, well, Tom, uh, I think that most Israelis are actually hijacked by the uh, Israeli, if you like, propaganda, and uh, if you like, it's the reality. And the reality since uh, October 7th is that there is not enough compassion in the hearts of uh, the average Israeli for both the Israeli captives the thousands of people that are living nearby, uh, the, the victims of the uh, vicious attack. You know, like uh, around my house where I'm sitting right now, in uh, half a square kilometer, there are two families who lost their sons and one family that uh, uh, doesn't sleep a minute because they wait to see mm. uh, what are the whereabouts of their son a young soldier, 19 years old. Uh, my neighbor visited Washington already twice, met with uh, President Biden. And uh, I am afraid that for the first time, even people who belong to the Israeli liberal left merits label uh, are afraid to speak up their voices you know, the only newspaper that really covers it is Haaretz. And uh, the Minister of Communication just uh, submitted a bill to stop advertising uh, government ads in, in Haaretz newspaper and uh, to stop the uh, subscription of the all ministries to Haaretz newspaper. This gives you an idea, Tom, of the, the atmosphere when it comes for it comes uh, com to compassion mm. for the uh, Palestinian refugees. Okay, Th thank you for, for giving us a, a better understanding of, of I guess, the, the, the sense and depth of feeling uh, there in Tel Aviv. Nabal, I just want to say uh, that Oxfam described the aid that's attached to this ceasefire as a band-aid on a gaping wound. That's how little is getting in. Do you think that enough priority uh, has been given to the amount of aid that was included in this deal? So uh, as for the humanitarian aid that was allowed to get uh, into Gaza Strip up to this moment, and even with this increase of aid, it still doesn't fulfill the needs of both. First, the humanitarian needs, which mean the urgent needs for over 2 million who are in need for food, water, fuel as well, and also doesn't fulfill the needs of the health sector after uh, most of the hospitals went out uh, of service. Now only nine hospitals out of 35 are still operating. All hospitals are in desperate need for fuel, 
as well as ambulances, we are in urgent need for a fuel to continue providing our life-saving services through uh, hospitals as well as uh, ambulances. The amount uh, of fuel is absolutely not enough. And most importantly, during these uh, pause, uh, there, uh, the, as a Palestine Red Crescent, we're not allowed to transport the aid to north of Gaza. Only UNRWA, for example, will be today um, uh, transporting two aid trucks to two UN facilities in Ashajaya. Other than that, all hospitals have completely went out of service in Gaza City and north of Gaza. And up to this moment, even with the humanitarian pause, we are unable to transport medical supplies, medicine, and aid to north of Gaza and Gaza, although hundreds of thousands of Palestinians are still there in Gaza Strip. I know in Gaza and the north, uh, many will be able to evacuate themselves during these four days. However, many they will not, because basically there is elderly people, people with disabilities, people who are sick, they will uh, be unable to go uh, four hours or five hours walking to evacuate themselves to the south. And those are in urgent need for medical services. They have mm. the right to find a hospital to receive them. Mm. Unfortunately, now, if you live in Gaza or the north, there is not even a single hospital to treat you. Yeah, we've just uh, heard from the World Health Organization that say that they are deeply concerned about the situation for the 100 or so patients and staff that remain at El Shifa Hospital uh, in the north. Nor, do you think that this is a deliberate tactic by Israel to, to limit uh, access for Palestinians to go back to the north and, and also indeed getting aid to those people that are still stuck there? Absolutely. Look, the humanitarian um, disaster in Gaza is... Um, uh, very deliberate. And Israel was very clear from day one that they will create this disaster, that they will starve Gaza out of food, water, medicine, and all, uh, you know, fundamentals of life. And they're making it extremely clear by deconstructing, uh, debilitating completely the health system in the north of Gaza, that they intend on making northern Gaza uninhabitable. And to give some perspective to the viewers, northern Gaza, Gaza City and the northern part, not only were the are the most densely populated areas in the in the Gaza Strip, but they were also the center of life, the center of commerce, of education, of uh, you know civil society. So to make that part unlivable is mm. to make the Gaza Strip uh, unlivable. And what we saw was a normalization of that. The world watching as a Shifa hospital was bombarded, laid siege to, as patients died inside, and as patients remained languishing, now unable to get access to medical evacuation. We saw the Indonesia hospital also uh, um, attacked and made to go out of service by firepower, by force. Mm. Um, all of that is happening. This, this humanitarian disaster is not the result of a natural disaster. It is man-made and it is maintained by a political decision. Yeah, and many would say, obviously, deliberate. Uh, Kiva, as we, we've alluded to, there's always been the accusation that Israel uses aid as a mechanism of war, as a way to control the population in Gaza. Is that how you see it? Is that what is happening here? What's happening here is uh, that uh, some Israelis see this humanitarian disaster 
uh, and uh, the loss of lives of uh, children, women, people who are not involved in violence as uh, collateral damage. Uh, but uh, at the other, on the other hand, uh, former Major General, the head of the NSC, wrote an article in uh, a leading Israeli newspaper, Yediot Achonot, arguing that uh, a plague and a humanitarian disaster is serving Israel's interests because it deters other Arabs, other Palestinians, not to mess around. Uh, that uh, Israel does not stop uh, when it comes to uh, destroying an enemy. And uh, you can hear Israelis comparing Gaza to Dresden and mentioning the fact that after World War II, or during World War II, um, the uh, Allies have uh, destroyed um, German cities and uh, they didn't have mercy. So mm. uh, mercy uh, is not very popular these days. And uh, uh, I can some of my best friends, whom I consider liberals, are saying, well, we know that the Hamas were hiding behind civilians, they're using hospitals, and mm. we saw the footage. So uh, we can't take the risk. It's other our soldiers that have to come in and clear the area or the Palestinians. So it's their responsibility. This is the argument uh, for the loss of life and the humanitarian crisis uh, mm. after what they did in October 7. So it's uh, kind of a race. Who is the real victim here? Yeah, that narrative, interesting that it has permeated almost all parts of uh, Israeli society at this point in time. Uh, Nabal, Netanyahu has said that he was surprised as well as disappointed that aid organisations hadn't set up uh, sheltered, full, full camps within so-called safe zones within Gaza. But is that because there's a worry that it, they could turn into full-time permanent settlements, which would, I guess, effectively just further displace people w within Gaza? None of the humanitarian agencies enjoyed safe access into Gaza Strip. Basically, we are facing great challenges implementing our humanitarian mission into Gaza Strip, starting from emergency medical services providers who are under attack, paramedics, healthcare workers, ambulances are under attack. Even the uh, ICRC, as um, when it tried to transport the aid to north of Gaza Strip and to Gaza, was under target from Israel military. So basically, this is a huge challenge for all humanitarian agencies in Gaza Strip, just to ensure the protection of our workers so we can be able to provide our humanitarian mission. Okay. Akiva, I want to get on to what might happen next if this ceasefire continues as it is at this point in time uh, being successful. I mean, Israel's defence minister has said that the overall war is... War could likely continue for two months after this uh, ceasefire ends. Is, I mean, is there any appetite at all for it being extended within Israel? Uh, first of all, uh, what uh, Israel has in mind right now is to rearrange its forces for the uh, next round and uh, at the same time to try and get out more captives. And uh, uh, while Israel is uh, penetrating deeper into Gaza and uh, the uh, chances of uh, finding them alive is uh, decreasing, 
the United States is also joining the scene uh, and putting pressure on both sides, including Qatar, Egypt, and uh, uh, even there are some kind of uh, connections with Iran to stabilize the uh, region. Because uh, just uh, to remind you, Tom, the Hezbollah is part of the deal of the ceasefire. And if we go back to the to escalation in Gaza, uh, there might be at the same time uh, escalation in other frontiers, including also the West Bank, which uh, we didn't mention. But uh, there are zealots in the Israeli settlements that are taking advantage of the chaos. Uh, while we are talking about a humanitarian crisis in Gaza, uh, there is not a humanitarian crisis, but uh, there is more and more violence and a kind of uh, silent transfer from Palestinian villages. And if the United States will not deal with all those frontiers comprehensively, simultaneously, Gaza is not going to be the top of uh, the agenda, on top of the agenda. We are going to see regional war. Mm, mm. Nor, in light of that, and uh, if this ceasefire is successful, I mean, it could be the start of further negotiations, as we've heard extensively, uh, especially from the Qataris. Uh, How would they be negotiated in the days and weeks ahead, do you think? And how, how difficult will it be to keep these sides together? I think uh, pushing the negotiations into a more um, detailed, uh, uh, um, nuanced uh, direction will be very difficult. And I think that's primarily because there isn't enough um, uh, international pressure. There isn't, I I think, enough of an international vision of how this monstrous war will end. Um, As Akiva was saying, this is not just about Gaza. What is happening in Gaza, even the humanitarian crisis there, is a product of a political crisis. And without talking about a political solution that will treat the situation in the entirety of the occupied Palestinian territory, that will calm tensions with Lebanon, that will uh, um, make sure that this doesn't spill over into a regional war. After the four days, and even if they extend to six or eight days, we're looking at a further deterioration, at a situation that is far worse Mm. than the five or six weeks that have already passed. Um, But it doesn't, up until now, I don't see many signals of an American vision for how this should go or an American willingness in the Biden administration to push the sides in that direction. I think there would be enough Arab pressure uh, on Hamas and maybe other Palestinian actors, but I don't see the uh, Israeli government feeling enough heat to talk endgame, and an endgame that is acceptable, that is sustainable, not an endgame where you would see people forcibly displaced or an endgame where you would see the size of Gaza shrink or an endgame where you would see the rest of the West Bank devoured Mm. by the settlement regime. That's, I think, what is now imminent and what uh, uh, the international attention should be focused on. Okay, Akiva, 
do you think that uh, Netanyahu is, is, isn't really feeling the heat at this point in time? Because we have heard plenty about his political woes. I mean, how is he viewed now, now that the ceasefire uh, is underway? And, and how uh, it goes, how could that influence what actually happens next? Uh, first of all, Netanyahu has a clear interest uh, to make sure that uh, this ceasefire is uh, just a kind of a break in uh, a very bad concert that uh, you are forced to go back and uh, listen to it after the short break. And uh, uh, as long as uh, the uh, uh, guns are shooting, uh, the uh, political arena is quiet. Um, he will not be removed before the war is over. And you know, the, still the, the, the court is waiting for him. Uh, the uh, Israeli public opinion is fed up with him. Uh, there will be an inquiry about uh, the disaster of uh, October 7th. And uh, uh, the main question is, how long will Gantz and uh, his colleagues from uh, the uh, uh, centre-right center party uh, will offer him the backing. It, is, it will not be very popular to leave him alone, just first of all, because we don't trust him, and uh, uh, second of all, because uh, Israel, the Israeli public wants to see unification. Uh, the, the people, you can see everywhere, those billboards, together we will win. And this works for Netanyahu. And uh, uh, I think that it might even take as long as a year before uh, we will have to stop or before the international community will get involved. I yeah. read very carefully the op-ed by President Biden, but I, I do hope that he also read what he wrote. Mm. Nabab, we've only got a minute or two uh, a minute or two left. As we heard, the, the pressure from the international community on those making the decisions in Israel is potentially the most important thing to make sure that this ceasefire holds and indeed continues. What is your message to those around the world uh, that want to see this peace last? I have sent, and along with my organization, the Palestine Red Crescent, um, hundreds of messages to the world leaders, to the international community. Unfortunately, nothing happened. Unfortunately, the world has turned their back to us, and we are still struggling, trying our best to save other people's lives, to support Palestinian civilians in Gaza Strip who have been under continuous bombardments that is taking place day and night. There is no safe place in Gaza. We have been under attack, under target. Mm. I have lost four colleagues. 24 others were injured. And unfortunately, nothing happened from the international community. Even we are discussing the situation of hospitals. Israel was strategically targeting hospitals from the first moment of this escalation. They mm. have issued 24 evacuation orders for hospitals in north of Gaza. We have refused the evacuation. What happened? Yes. They besieged the hospitals. They attacked the hospitals. They opened fire at the hospitals. They denied access of humanitarian aid and medical supplies. Now their goal is, is implemented. No one hospital in mm. Gaza and the north is working all out of service. My last call for the international community, 
they should stand up for humanity. Mm. This escalation should put into an end. We need a complete ceasefire, an end for this war, because basically, Palestinian civilians are paying the cost of this continuous escalation. Yeah. None of one Palestinian has not been affected by the war. No. Either you lost, you lost your loved one, you lost your okay. home, or you became internally displaced in Gaza. Yeah. This suffering has to be put to an end. Well, let's hope that uh, the world is listening to that message. Thank you so much, uh, Nabal Fasak, Akiva Elder and Noor O'Day. We really do appreciate your time once again here on Inside Story. This episode was produced by Damien Lay, Katia Lopez-Horian, Abla Kla and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Alexander Tegrin. The programme was edited by Andre Oosterhuizen, Lynn Nguyen, Vanessa Keneally and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Saturday for our next edition. Coming up in the take, why is America's longest-held political prisoner, indigenous activist Leonard Peltier, still in prison after nearly 50 years? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.